0: Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I am Armando Luna.
1: And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from our homes in Portland, Oregon, nestled in the heart of Cascadia.
0: This is the show where we bring you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective, and the best that life has to offer along the way.
1: We cover bicycling, trains, transit, adventures, infrastructures, and today, Bike for Goods Baja Divide Ride Border Angels Fundraiser.
2: Well, cool. Welcome, everyone. Thanks. Great to be here.
0: Uh, I'm going to do some just quick introductions. I'll just start introductions of myself, and then everybody can go around, um, because I think I know almost everybody. Uh, And then we can go from there. So my name is Armando Luna. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Sprocket podcast, newer, newer co-host.
2: Uh, and I like to ride bikes. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs>
3: yeah, I love to see your your uh, social media feed with all of <laughs> oh, yeah. them. Right. Are you still riding that Green Fargo thing? that you? Oh, yeah, in? totally. All right, cool.
1: Oh, I want to ask about that later. Okay. About you turning that into a gravel bike.
0: Like gravel bike. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> By the way, I'm Aaron. I'm the other co-host. I've been around for a while now. Um, I also like riding bikes. It's <laughs> kind of redundant
3: to say. <laughs> hey, Aaron, good to see you again. Yeah, yeah.
2: Go ahead, Paula. Oh, I'm Paula Fanatake, one of the Bikes for Good riders. I've uh, been riding bikes a lot. like it a lot, uh, especially riding dirt and the uh, fat bike. Go ahead, Eric. Cos- or Cosmo's or kind of the was... mystery guest.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I, I can still see
2: him.
3: <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> uh, Eric Didi, uh, also uh, one of the, the uh, riders down in Baja this past couple months uh, for Bikes for Good. And, uh, yeah, also do a lot of bike packing touring, was an old school touring guy with panniers and all that. <laughs> <laughs> I've sort of gravitated more towards dirt, uh, in the past few years, uh, mostly just because it's scary to be on the road for me
5: these days. Um, I'm Cosmo. Uh, I like to ride bikes, all kinds of bikes. Uh, haven't, um uh... I guess I did some touring in college on road bikes. And then, um, uh, a few years ago I was inspired to, uh, do a portion of the Oregon Outback and that was my first bike packing, uh, experience. And I, uh, kind of fell in love with that. So I've been pursuing that a little bit each year and, uh, yeah, this trip was kind of the culmination of all that so far. Okay. You're done. Cause <laughs> <Cost me. Fun.
4: laughs>
6: Um, I'm Tommy Karen. I uh, started bikepacking like six years ago and pretty much have been all in with that ever since. So a few big trips and a lot of little ones. So yeah, it's all I do now.
0: (laughs) And that's it. I mean, Tommy's our our Tour Divide veteran here. Oh, okay. Tommy, where are you at right now? Um, Outside of Eugene, Oregon. No, but what kind of room are you in? Um, I'm in a vintage Airstream. Ah, nice. I was totally, because, so the Sprocket podcast used to um, record in an Airstream, and I was looking Uh. at you, I'm like, oh my gosh, that looks just like the Airstream.
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's cool that you made the connection i didn't even oh my gosh i totally i'm
0: like looking knew, at it because when yeah. we, we, we no, recorded there that, when we recorded yeah, there i was that, facing Sorry. i was facing tommy and like you would be sitting where tommy yeah. was so that's what i looked yeah. at
1: <laughs> yeah once he said that it was like obvious like oh yeah that is an air stream oh, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah.
0: Cool. well welcome yeah. everyone thank you thanks we were uh I was thinking about trying to get a hold of you before you left. I thought like, that's probably not a good idea.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the no. ride you're about to take.
0: <laughs> well, no, I mean, I wanted to know about the prep and all that. And, but Paula was posting things, so and I didn't think there would really be time to do that.
5: But now that you're oh, back. Oh, yeah, we were, we were all stressed out. I oh, yeah, I bet. I was. <laughs> I was.
0: Yeah. yeah, I'd be really nervous. Yeah, all those little things to take care of.
1: Now that you're back and resting on your laurels with nothing else to do, thank you for
2: coming. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a whole different world, just chilling. (laughs) (laughs) So kind of miss the riding every day and just being on the trail.
3: Yeah, I miss that so much. It's hard to give that up after however long that was six weeks it's a long time yeah
0: so let's uh a couple couple of clarifying questions uh the bikes for good i want to know more about that and then the the border angels fundraiser and how that came about before we actually get into
3: uh your trip sure uh i'll i'll do the uh what the bikes for good thing is and paula you can do the the second part of that question if you don't mind. <laughs> uh, bikes for good was something that that I I am have been and continue to dream up um, as a way to keep myself occupied um, over the years I've done a lot of, of bike trips and kind of just messing around on bikes and and my my hope is that I can translate that somehow into into some kind of charity work um, and the idea originally was to Try and get um, tour groups to raise money themselves for charities in in regions that we would visit. So, for example, um, you know, if we were to go to South Africa, we would find a charity and work with the South African charity to uh, raise money here, and then go to that area to do a, a bike tour, um, and then you know do some volunteer work at that particular charity, um, and you know give them the donations when we get there. That that was the original idea, but that's sort of morphing into something different now, so I'm not quite sure what's going on with it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and then um, in terms of, as Eric and I were talking about the trip and trying to find uh, sort of a charity to work with, um, he came up with the Border Angels and researching what they do in terms of water drops and um, legal assistance for asylum seekers and working with a couple of safe houses across the border f- with food and and things. Then um, we reached out to them and they were on board and excited about about our campaign. And then we spent some time trying to come up with Sort of a catchphrase, or how do we present this? Um, and so we kind of came up with the $1,700 for 1,700 miles, um, and then just you know put this put the GoFundMe campaign together uh, and came up with some promo initial promo and a bunch of hashtags to help promote as we post post up pictures and things like that. Um, in the end, um, we did hit our goal by just getting a little bit over seventeen hundred dollars. So that was a very uh, kind of satisfying way to also end our trip. Absolutely, I felt really good. Cool. Is,
0: is that, that's still open though, isn't it? Is it still open? It is. Okay. It is. Yes. Because yeah, um, we'll include links to that stuff at, on, uh, on when this is posted. Awesome.
4: Yeah. Awesome. Thanks.
0: So seventeen hundred miles. That's the the length of the ride. Give or take, Yep. Okay. So planning for that. When did planning for that start? once you knew you were going to do it, what what would you say? What what date did you end up leaving? Let's put it that way. Let's start.
2: There. <laughs> the ride. We started riding on the uh, on February fifteenth. Uh, we left. We all. all Myself, Cosmo, and Eric, we left Portland on the 13th and headed to San Diego. But our ride, we started riding on the 15th. And
0: so knowing that you're going to leave in February, you started planning
2: when?
3: Josh, wasn't it it a year ago?
2: It was somewhere around, really started around May, I think, really serious, figuring out load, figuring out what gear? Going back and forth, tent, bivy, um, tarp, um, all that stuff. Um, trial and error. Where do we put everything?
3: And Tommy's got all that figured out, or he just carries
2: nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going to bring anything. Just
3: the bike.
6: Yeah. yeah. So I didn't start planning till sometime in January.
0: <laughs> but you had done the ride yeah.
6: before?
4: No. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm.
6: I I thought it was going to be far easier than it was. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what I, I had planned two big trips um, in the past year, both of them. One was through all of great Britain and then um, a little break and then through Iceland. And because of COVID they were canceled, and I was just sitting around, cold and wet <laughs> in January, and just kind of spur of the moment decided to, yeah, oh, I'll go do the Baja Divide. How hard can it be? Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I found out how hard it could be. Extremely hard.
3: <laughs> so, I think it's safe to say it it kicked all our butts.
5: Oh, I. am. Sure. Uh, I, I wanted to add, I had the extra, I had this harebrained idea of, um, uh, taking my computer with me so I could work periodically so that I could actually have enough vacation time. Cause I couldn't really take enough time off work to do the trip. Um, so then like, Oh, bring the computer. Well, that means I have to have a pannier, which means I have to have a rack, which means 10 more extra pounds. And I thought, well, how am I going to do that? And I'm like, Oh, I'll lose 10 pounds. So that was part of my whole planning and effort too, was to lose enough weight so I could carry a computer. Which, really, what I should have done is lost the weight and not carried the computer, also because that was crazy. But we'll probably talk about more about that later. <laughs> so when you but, say
0: when you say lose the weight, um, were you did you have a weight limit
5: that you were shooting for
0: for your for yourself and your bike and your gear? I just
5: wanted to lose ten pounds so that I could offset the the weight of the computer. I figured, you know, I had done, I, th- I figured this was going to be like the Oregon outback about that level of difficulty. I don't know why I thought that, but, um, and I thought, well, I'll just lose 10 pounds and i that'll make up for the care in the computer and all the junk and I'll be fine. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's much, much harder than the Oregon outback.
1: So which is harder, the Oregon outback or losing 10 pounds? <laughs>
5: I, I was yes. so motivated by this. I was so motivated by this ride. I had no problem. I because I oh, just yeah? I would just visualize the mountain and I say if I you know if I eat that lunch I have to carry it up freaking mountain <laughs> like it's just gonna stick there and so I'm just be like no I won't eat it fine it was weirdly motivating first time in my life I've ever like deliberately lost weight like that. So Cosmo, on your when you say so you're talking
0: about weight. I, I'm wondering about. The, the weight of your bikes and your gear and all that stuff. Is that something you wanted to know about? You, you, you had a set goal of what you were going
5: to carry? No, I just, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I just, I think I didn't have a goal. I just knew I had to carry a lot of water. And, um, so I made sure I had the capacity for that. And then everything I thought that would make me comfortable and, you know, just trying to not carry anything that wasn't essential. Of course, I ended up carrying lots of things that turned out not to be a <laughs> And I ended up sending them home, actually, and they actually got here. Oh, wow. Weirdly, in a different box than I sent them in. Which very <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, my, uh, my bike weighed, when I weighed it at the beginning, when I fully loaded up with water, weighed 91 pounds. Oh, wow. Which is way too much <laughs> and for that trip. And so what bike did you ride on this trip? I rode a green salsa Fargo. Yeah, hey, that's what Very I thought. Like yours, I, <laughs> I totally
0: saw the photo. I'm like, I know that
5: green color. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good to know. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't ride that. I wouldn't have ridden it. I, I won't. I'll. I'll bring a bike with front suspension or possibly a fi- fat bike, not a rigid mountain bike. Next time.
0: Hmm. Did everybody else? Did you? Did all do you others have uh, suspension fat bikes?
3: Now, Paul and I were on fat bikes and and uh Tommy was not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I well I've rem,
6: I've remedied that situation. <laughs> <laughs> my my new bike my, yes. Yeah, my new bike should be here sometime in probably early June. <laughs> but yeah I was uh, I was on a uh moot with skinny tires. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh
4: two,
6: let's see, 2.25 inch tires, and it was a struggle at times, and I felt really jealous of, (laughs) (laughs) and about a lot of things. I mean, my bike weighed 42 pounds when I weighed it at the airport, including the box. Oh, wow. So that was all my gear without food and water. So, you know, you can add another 20 pounds when I would be fully loaded. So I was 30 pounds lighter than Cosmo and probably what, Eric?
3: 50 lighter at least. I, I bet I doubled the weight of your bike. Well, I He's must have tripled his then. <laughs> easily. Uh, I mean, your bike was easily like 150. That oh, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I am. I don't uh, shy away from carrying extra crap. That's for <laughs> sure. I, I like my luxuries and a little bit of extra food, and you know, as did long you, as I can get it, get it up the hill, I'm okay with that.
0: Eric, did you bring your cast iron pan? No, I thought
3: about it though. I truly did. Yes,
4: yes.
1: <laughs> I bring one with me every time I camp.
0: So, Eric. Yeah, what, well, what well by, I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say
6: because of Eric and Paula, I've. Ordered a new bike. I have a camp chair that I'm going to be picking up from REI on Thursday, and I well, I have a full list of stuff I've got to add to my bike packing stuff. Excellent.
5: Uh, are you yeah. getting a fat bike, Tommy? Yeah. Nice.
6: What's that? Why?
5: No, I said nice.
6: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I, I thought you said why, and it's actually a wide cycles bike. <laughs> um, yeah. A, a little scary how much it's going to end up costing, but yeah. You is, there a, is there you a don't. trip
5: you have in mind for it?
6: Um, well, I would, if, if they do the Oregon Outback or not Oregon Outback, but the Oregon Timber Trail in July, I'm going to, and if that bike's ready, I'll take it on that. (laughs) If not, I'll take the moots again. So, but yeah, I'll take it on every ride because they're more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I used to, my other bike that I have before I got the moots was set up rigid and I'm faster. And then I got the moots and I set that up rigid but then I've gone back to the suspension fork, and I'm faster with the suspension fork just because it's more comfortable. So I am going towards more comfort in the bike.
5: So your your fat bike will have front suspension?
6: I have not decided yet. I might get, uh, like, one of those Lauf forks. So kind of semi-suspension, and then with the fatter tires, I should be pretty good.
3: Mm-hmm. But didn't you say you were getting that with a truss fork?
6: Yeah. It's uh, really hard to get a truss fork right now. Uh-huh. Everybody is, like, six months or longer. Oh, jeez. Out. And and then some of these aren't even – some of the outfits that I've looked at, they're not even taking orders. Wow for stuff they're so far behind so yeah if you're...
5: oh and that was a factor in preparing for our trip too was like so many places were like um you know no sorry <laughs> that's just can't do that now because of the supply chain disruptions due to covid and right. i i learned how to build my own wheels for that reason oh wow good yeah which was you know super uh uh exciting and um Uh, you know, great. Now I'm all ready to build more wheels. (laughs) Of course, Er I made some mistakes. Luckily, uh, Eric and Paula are both experts and (laughs) help me me out on the road. when. Yeah, that always helps. Yeah. (laughs) Eric, what bike did you have?
3: Uh, I had a Surly ice cream truck. Okay. I kept a rigid fork on, um, five-inch tire in the front and a 4.3 in the back. Um, and it, it was, it, it was brilliant until it broke.
1: Like the frame itself broke?
3: No, the, uh, the free hub Paul's snapped off. Oh, and, wow. And so like one after another with over the course of two weeks, first I snapped one and the, the, the hub was acting funny or the, the free hub was acting funny. And then that sort of went away and I thought, oh, Strange noise, and now it's gone. That's great. And then another one snapped. And then I was riding on one paw, and that one finally gave up. And that, oh, wow. that was more or less the end of my ride. At that point, I it's kinda hard to
1: everywhere. turn everywhere. Real without the
3: yeah. I looked around everywhere. I took buses to different towns to try and find parts. And you know, I, in the end, it was a two-dollar part that nobody had. No one could get a free hub. There was no way to ship it down here Um, because there's just so many different options and types and varieties of Pauls and free hubs to choose from that I, I couldn't even say without holding in my hand, which one it was. Um, So yeah, I, in the end, that was it for that bike. Um, I I tried my best to rent one and load it all up with my gear. uh, And that didn't really work so well either. So uh, yeah, a little $2 part defeated me. So I'm
0: going to take you back to the start. You started in in February. In the middle middle of February. On your... Talk me through your plan. Were you planning just on riding until you stopped riding and camped? Did you have a specific goal you were trying to reach each day, each night?
3: Yeah, that that sort of evolved as as we started. I think, you know, to start, I think we had talked about a 45-day attempt, uh, which would have meant... Forty something miles a day, um, and we sort of tried to stick to that in the beginning, and that that worked okay. Uh, there were days that we did more, some days we did less, um, um, and and the the terrain down there is so so difficult that you know a forty mile day doesn't sound like a whole lot to to people, but it really is a killer at times.
1: Yeah, This is not 40 miles like on country roads or, <laughs> or even pavement.
3: No, no, it's not. No, I, there's a lot, a lot of pushing, a lot of very, very slow going. And, and even when you're going downhill, it wasn't free miles, you know, there was it was strenuous even on the downhills. Um, so it was harder in miles, every one of them, I would say.
6: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I. I didn't start with those guys. I started like, I think three days after those guys. And the first from Takati, I went 40 miles the first day and I, and I was having power issues. So I was trying to conserve my GPS. Anyway, I, I thought, so I wasn't, uh, tracking how many miles I went and I thought, Oh yeah, I, it did at least 80 today. And then the next day I did like, um, like another, I think I did 39 miles the next day. And I thought, Ooh, I probably was close to a hundred miles. And I, So I was thinking that I was going twice as far as I really was. It, it, Cause the, you know, the terrain was just so brutal. I've, I mean, if I took every ride I've been on, and I took the hardest part of each of those rides and put it all together, it would be like Baja. Wow. So, yeah, it's crazy hard. And if anybody says anything differently, they're
3: (laughs) they're not telling the truth. (laughs) So, you guys, have you... Have, have, have you started thinking, oh, you know, it wasn't that hard after we've been home now for a while? Uh-huh. Nope. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs>
2: no. no. But with, the pain, with the pain gone, it's like, yeah, it was, you know, it, it's easier now to really, especially I've been going through the pictures, it, it's a lot easier to focus on the Enjoyable aspects—the landscapes and the all the beach camping and all the sunsets and the su- phases of the moon and stuff—but in the back of my mind, I still remember just how hard it was, and you know, and how much I struggled at the beginning to get any kind of rhythm. So, yeah, I remember how hard it was <laughs> so,
1: so you're looking through those pictures and like wow what a great day at the
5: beach
1: after 40 miles of just pain
5: <laughs> something like that <laughs> I want to add that it, it was incredibly beautiful yeah I mean uh, it, it just I was really blown away in some of those that that first week of the the variety of uh, Desert, much more interesting than I had expected. And, and it wasn't all desert either. There were a number of ecosystems we, we went through, and they were just all just the most amazing wilderness I've ever seen. It's absolutely so, stunning. You know, I mean, yeah. there's, there's that too. And, and as far as like feeling uh when I got home, you know, uh, I really learned a lot about mountain bike handling, you know, through trial by fire. And now I'm really eager to go back, uh, back to the, you know Mount Hood and those trails, and and you know tackle the Timber Trail, for instance. I think it'll just be fun now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that, that's that's my takeaway. I still think it was hard, but I think everything else in the world looks easier now. So, Cosmo, did you get a chance to, to work? Oh yeah, on absolutely. Your laptop? Yep. Okay. Yeah, and that that worked out pretty well. And I uh, I want to go back to Baja uh, next winter and do the, the, the same kind of thing. I'm going to mix in some biking, but also more beach time, more, more relaxation oriented and also just work. I mean, cause Mexico is really in, just enjoyable. I, I speak some Spanish, so i you know, it was pretty easy to get along there and just really pleasant place to be. Did you run into, uh, uh other
0: writers, a lot of other writers,
5: uh, well, Harrison Ford was somewhere, but I kept missing him. <laughs>
0: Wait, was he riding though? He was. He was. Oh wow! Was.
3: Not the, not off road. He was. He was doing some kind of road tour with some family members. Okay. And we kept hearing rumors of him being in front of us or behind us, and uh, you know. people would
5: ask if we'd seen him. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Is that something you you knew about before you went down there?
5: No, not really. I I. The, the Baja Divide is, it has such an enticing website <laughs> that um, I didn't know there was any other biking down there.
0: <laughs> well, that's interesting. You, you mentioned the the Strava heat maps because it's like, oh, yeah, that's a really good. I forgot about that. That's a good oh, way yeah. to look I, into I, things.
5: I use that for research all the time because I'm always like trying to think of some way to take some back road thing. and. You want to make sure that there's at least one trail, like one track on there that somebody went through because the the maps, well, like in the, or the Oregon coast range, you know, the maps are terrible. Like there's so many roads that don't exist or they go a different way or, you know, really you have to use something like the Strava or, or the LIDAR, uh, the Google LIDAR radar uh, layer to see where roads really are because caps are just wrong. I
3: think that we, we often talked while we were on route about whether um, the route descriptions descriptions should have, should have reflected more of the difficulty. I think for me, at least in the end, I, I sort of came to the conclusion that I'm glad that they didn't say how hard it was. <laughs> First off, because that's not their responsibility to say how hard or easy something might be. It's very subjective. And I also, I think, like, it might just scare people off that that might want to want to do it and figure it out for themselves. That being said, I think there's a lot of folks who end up going down there and realizing it's just way more difficult than they, they imagine it to be and, and they they don't get very far. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, that's kind of a shame, but, you know, what else are you going to do? Can't really explain every bit, bit and piece of it. Well, and, you know, like, you know, the
6: one section that I was all worried about and I left early because they said (laughs) it was going to be very Sandy and it wasn't Sandy all day. It was just really nice. It was, it was one of the easier days. And then the next day in the route description, they said, no sand. And I, that's when I was (laughs) in the sandbox for like pushing and dragging my bike for like five hours or whatever it was i mean it was just horrible (laughs) and so so you know because of storms and wind and everything else the route can change a lot year to year with storm damage on the roads and and you know just being up in those mountains all the time
2: yeah Um, Um, plus some of the tracks are part of their uh vehicle races. So those vehicles will shred up the, the route as well. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. The Baja 1000. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Uh, Yeah. I spent some time with a uh, fellow who lived in San Ignacio and uh, drove back roads to get there or sorry, not San Ignacio. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Um, But anyway, he, he said, uh, he just went on about how the roads changed completely uh, because of sort of the monsoon-like rainy, rainy spells. And, uh, yeah, things get completely washed out. The roads will be sort of recreated in a new place even. So, yeah, quite a bit of change. So it yeah. goes to say that they can't really judge. Nobody can tell you how difficult it's going to be. And unless, you know, well, it's handy to have the Facebook page and be able to read, you know, people's, Reports just there a week ago, for instance.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, it, So I've been meaning to ask you guys again. It's a question I've asked you all before, but sitting here right now, would you do it again?
6: Oh, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely.
5: Yeah, yeah. I would. I would have a, a bike with either a fat bike or a bike with front suspension. But yeah, totally.
2: Hmm. Um, <laughs> again, I, I, guess, I guess my ans- answer is relative to what I think um, time and options are, right? I mean, do I – I guess my response is it sort of depends because it's – if I have an option to do something new – then I might do that over the Baja versus if I didn't really have something in mind, I would certainly go back and do it again. Yeah.
6: Okay, Paul, I'm going to, I'll <laughs> make this happen. You leave in February. There's not a lot of places. I mean, you have to go like somewhere like South America. Yeah. Where it's warm. yeah. I mean, so you're, you're pretty much North America is out of the picture. Any part of the a, equator is out of the picture. <laughs> you have a lot of options, so there's no, really, there's no reason why you shouldn't do
2: it again. Well, <laughs> if you put it that way. All right.
3: February 15th again, anybody? Uh,
2: how about <laughs> mid-January and kind of get done before the heat hits us again? Oh,
1: man, yeah. So I, I don't know if we heard from Paula what what you were writing
2: I was riding my Surly Wednesday, um, which had essentially 3.8, a.k.a. 4-inch tires on it. Um, Love the bike. It's always held up on every adventure. It's taken a beating on every adventure so far. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, And between... Myself and the bike, we lost quite a bit of weight over the course of the trip. <laughs> yeah.
1: So every time I see your bike, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm picking on you a little bit just because, okay. you know, uh, I know you a little bit better than everybody else. And also, like, right. I've, I've seen that bike, and it's, yeah, yeah. it's always amazing every time I see it. Um, but every time I see you on that bike, it doesn't matter if we're just going like into town you know around for for a cruise or or uh if we're like you know with the dirt doddlers who should be on here on the show sometime but that's a different story uh, but anyways like it's always loaded up <laughs> I'll see pictures of you like yeah I'm just out for a ride and I was like To where though? (laughs) (laughs) And and are you moving? Is (laughs) just out for a ride uh, to the zombie apocalypse?
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, there's the comfort stuff, and um, you know, and some stuff just stays on the bike, like the frame bag. Um, I like having the racks because I can't really use. seat bags because of being shorter rider and not enough room between the saddle and the tire, um, which on a Wednesday is complicated because I do run a dropper post on it, which I really love, and it's I like it a lot. Um, and then on the front, I've never really liked trying to get things strapped to the handlebars, so I use a front rack on it. But yeah, things like the frame bags stay on, um, I had pouches that I would use on the forks for just dropping jeans um, or a lock or whatever. Um, and, um, but learned a lot of things on this trip about um, how to carry things without necessarily doing it the heavy way, I guess. And, and given this was the first really mega tour kind of ride I've done it's a whole new ball game in terms of um, the notion of access convenience versus do I really need to have it on the bike um, and so that's where um, we get to O oh, Negros and go okay need to really look at how to make your bike go a little bit easier and so I dropped the a large amount of stuff at the motel, which we picked up afterwards. And then just over the course of the trip, I made two other um, jettison activities in terms of what I took off the bike and, and didn't continue on.
3: Um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to speak for anybody else here, but um, the, the whole tire debate, which size tires are best, and <laughs> was something we talked about so much because there was such a, a degree of difference between what Tommy was on, what Cosmo was on, what I was on, and it, I, I think the fat tires won hands down. And my <laughs> argument is, come on, somebody show me why it would be faster on anything else, like really, like show me the evidence it would <laughs> faster on something else and that's I think people talk about fat bikes like they're this slow cumbersome thing that's just you know so hard to ride and so burdensome but they are just absolutely not that at all and and I I would almost venture to say that it's it would be faster because of the way they roll over things easier um, and the fatigue part of it too you're just fresher um, that, that's that's my argument I'm sticking to it
2: I agree. I agree. I mean, there are a lot of sections where having the the fat tires, was just made the riding so much easier. Cosmo, what yeah. I, Cosmo, what size tires? <laughs> What's
5: Co- that? Cosmo, what size tires were you running? I had uh, what, what was it? Uh, three in the front and two point eight in the back. Okay. Um, and so not a fat bike, but. Uh, larger than gravel bikes, which I will argue, I mean, because I haven't really ridden a fat bike, but I I will say I love that as a gravel bike, that size tires. I think it works great.
6: Well, is the skinny tired person <laughs> down there. I mean, there's no question in my mind that a fat bike is going to be faster for most Almost everybody, I think, because, you know, really the bikes don't weigh that much more like a, a fat bike doesn't weigh that much more. I mean, you know, maybe a, a five pounds, mm-hmm. but it's all the other stuff that, you know, racks and I think racks and all the other stuff you guys brought that, wait, that made it heavy. It wasn't the bike.
4: Was the bike.
1: Yeah. I will say for for clarity's sake, my fat bike actually weighs less than my commuter bike. Huh? Yeah. And that's with a front rack on it.
3: Yeah. Uh-huh. So what is, what would you say, Aaron, about that? Do you... Do you find that when people see you on your fat bike and say, oh, my God, that's so slow. How do you do that? Uh,
1: I will confess that there is a little bit higher rolling resistance on the roads Uh um, and that uh, you can't necessarily coast on that bike as I as I would on my commuter. But uh, if you're asking about speed versus, you know, am I having fun? Like maybe you're asking the wrong question. Yeah. Well, I mean,
6: it's it's seemed so much easier. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to have more fun when it seems easier, and Mm
4: -hmm.
6: so yeah, I I think especially if you're doing desert riding. Which a lot of rides you go on end up being in the deserts, desert areas. You know, a fat bike is ideal. And you know, there are, you know, I'm if you're one of the super fast people, you know, they they are a different breed of. They're not even. I even question if they're human at times. They go <laughs> so, so fast. <laughs> so you know, everybody tries to emulate them when you know they you're not them. I mean, 99% of us aren't them and you should you know not try to copy them. So that's so you know I did because I didn't really know any better. I just thought, oh, well this is how you do it. You just try to get as light as you can. And then with writing with Paul and Eric, I kind of have seen the light. I'm coming out of the dark and have seen the light. <laughs> so, and I think I'd be faster. I mean, especially on the Baja divide, I think I'd be um, quite a bit faster on a fat bike. So,
3: so the one, the one true, true negative for, for the fat bike is just monkeying around with the tire pressure all the time. If you get that right, it changes the whole thing. If you get it wrong, you'll mow you'll it. So there's there's a lot of that you know spending time putting in air, taking out air, depending on the conditions. Um, hmm. And I think other bikes you don't have to worry
5: about that as much, and kind of get away with a, whatever you have. What was yeah, that? It's kind of like locking your suspension fork is pumping up the tires. Yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: What what was the one item you brought with that you were so glad that you brought it with you?
3: I think for me it was my tent. I I gladly pay the penalty in in weight. To have the you know a nice cozy private spot to hang out at the end of the day.
1: Well yeah. You guys mentioned um sort of tent versus bivy. Uh who went so Eric, you said you went with tent. Who went which way?
2: I had a tent.
6: Yeah, we all had tents, I think, didn't oh, okay. we?
2: Yeah. Yeah. We did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I debated for a while about using a bivy just because it was simpler, but then If you have those nights where you had to hunker in, a bivvy is not a particularly comfortable place to hunker in.
3: There's scorpions down there.
2: (laughs) 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 Yeah. Um, The one thing outside of some of the stuff was uh, my chair. It just made such a difference being able to relax, uh, even, you know, putting it, setting up inside the tent was much easier sitting in a chair than trying to kneel and bend over at the end of a long ride. And I got to say sitting in the chair and, in the, in the bay was pretty awesome. <laughs>
4: yeah, I was just, just rubbing it in, Paul.
2: Oh,
4: I just, <laughs> well, Tom was sitting in the dirt. We so
1: were just lounging back. So, Paula, were you renting out chair time to the rest of the campers? $5
6: for five minutes. Yeah. In the chair yeah and there were times I would have gladly
5: paid it <laughs> <laughs> oh I was glad I had my uh three season sleeping bag because it was very cold in the mountains we uh We woke up with our uh water bottles frozen one day, oh wow, so you know well below thirty two degrees up there
6: wow. well i the first night I camped out of Takati it was. 25 and i woke up in the middle of the night shivering and the second night it was 27 when i woke up in the middle of the night shivering so yeah i wish i would have had
4: a (laughs) thing
2: (laughs) which i I would have had a lot of
4: things
2: (laughs) yeah that was the other amazing thing it's just that the temperature range uh, from start to finish start, you know, we, we had overnights below freezing, and then we hit down at the the Cape end and had some over a hundred degree days. We just went through the full gamut of daily temperature ranges. Yeah. And the, the day that I
6: left you guys on the beach and went out on my own, I mean, it, it got even hotter. I mean, I, the one day I, in fact, the first day after I left you guys, I think it got up to, um, well, it was 105 in the shade. And then as soon as you walked out of the shade, it got out of the shade, it was, I mean, you just feel the heat radiating off that white sand. It was, it was, I mean, just brutally hot when you get up in the mountains away from the ocean. And it was pretty much like that the whole ride it's, you know, it's, it would be much hotter up in the mountains, mm. you
5: know, in, in during the day. Right. Wow. I, I can't imagine. I didn't, I, I only did about 600 miles of the, of the ride and I didn't do that, that hot part. Um, but I will say that we, we, while we were riding where we were, we'd feel hot. It's like, Oh, it's sunny. It's so hot. huh? And then we'd like stop in the shade of a cactus, and it'd be like, oh, it's actually kind of chilly. It's actually like 65 degrees, but out there on the sand in the sun, it actually felt hot. I couldn't imagine what it would be if it was 105 instead of 65. I just can't. I can't even fathom. I don't. I don't don't think I would be alive. So wouldn't.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: Did you guys have uh, any uh, difficulty finding water?
3: The the first part, the first couple of weeks, um, there were uh, water machines in most of the little stores that we would go into. And even the grocery stores would have a machine that you stick your bottle under and re- can refill stuff for pennies, dirt cheap. Um, but then those started to go away. We had to work a little bit harder to find water sources um, But for the most part, there were a lot of sections that were long without water resupply. But uh, once we found a town or found a store, there wasn't any issue with water.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest was um, the amount you had to carry through some of the the longer no resupply sections.
3: Yeah. What was that longest? One hundred and twenty six miles or something without resupply? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What was the most water you carried in one go?
3: Oh, my God. Hmm. I
2: think I had 12 liters.
3: Yeah, it was about 14 for me. Hmm.
2: I think I carried
5: 11, but I didn't go on the longest sections.
3: Yeah.
6: Yeah, I think maybe 10 liters was where I topped out at. So A lot of water
3: yeah i think i was noticing that i i think because i'm just bigger like i'm a chubby dude and i'm tall and i think i go through more water and of course that like in hindsight that makes perfect sense but i didn't really think about that you know you hear oh four liters a day is pretty adequate for people but for me not not really I, i would go through a lot more than that and writing uh
6: 150-pound bike. <laughs> well, that might have something to do
2: with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and I think, too, um, as was stated, you're out there in the desert, and just like in town, the, the pavement absorbs heat, and you get that day after day after day that 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 you have additional heat just coming off the ground. And it's the same with the desert. You've got all that open ground and sand that's just, been soaking up heat and never cools down, and so it just amplifies when you're riding the the sun above and then the heat bouncing off the ground. It just saps your your energy Other than Eric's hub, were there
0: any other uh types of mechanical issues or issues with gear?
2: uh my ride nearly ended because I guessed the my rear tire. Um, But we were able to get it plugged enough to continue on into Loretto. And uh, fortunately, um, Eric's girlfriend was coming down, and I was able to get online and order a tire from Universal and have it drop shipped to Idaho, and she brought it down so that I had a dependable tire to finish the trip.
6: Yeah, I had... Really, no mechanical issues, no flat tires. But I mean, my fork was on its last leg. Um, the bottom bracket—I ho- need a whole new drivetrain.
3: I mean, it's it, the Baja's has hard on equipment. <laughs> it is. So. All the, the picture that you you posted of all of those thorns. <laughs> hey, I wish we could show the listeners right now. While we're, while
2: we're yeah. I'm well, now after pulling some out in uh, in where was that?
3: Uh, that was in Loretto. where you
2: pulling Loretto? Some out. Yeah, yeah. I cleaned the tire in Loretto, and so those are all the ones just from basically R- Loretto to Las Burellas.
3: Uh huh. I think that. You know, tubeless has never been something I've I've been a, a big well I wouldn't say fan of I just hadn't hadn't done it before I guess but it's an absolute necessity on this trip um, and it would be impossible without it. There's just no way to do that without tubeless tires. Yeah, you you could not
6: you wouldn't get 300 miles no. with without tubeless a tubeless setup. Uh-uh. So.
4: Yeah.
0: Did you still carry a tube as a spare or did you just bring a bunch of
3: sealant?
2: I had a tube, spare tube.
3: Yeah, spare tube and and extra sealant also. Lots of yeah. sealant. Same here. Yeah. Same here. And Paula, you you had to use your spare tube that one <laughs> one time, right?
2: Right. So, yeah, we were, what, 20 miles out of Uh Moolahe? And um, on the last big downhill, um, uh, I'm guessing that I hit something and so kind of lost control a bit and had a light crash, I guess. Um, When I got up, Tommy noticed that I had a flat tire. um, And that's where I noticed the, the sidewall gash and tried to fix it but, um, with like plugs and a little bit of super glue and it wasn't holding. Um, and, uh, so finally reached the point where I had to risk using the tube, which I, it doesn't have a removable core. So there's a risk that if I puncture it with a thorn, my ride's done for the day and I'm walking, um, Uh, So our plan was Eric and Tommy would ride into Mullahay and then um, just basically keep, just track my spot tracker dot. Um, While I was there, I pulled the tire off and went through probably two, three cycles around the tire, pulling out all the thorns um, and then put the tube in and inflated it and then. Basically, kind of crossed my fingers that I could then make it the 20 miles into Muleje, avoiding thorns and all that good stuff. Um, and I made it, um, and uh, was then in in Moolahe overnight. Then worked on getting the the sidewall fixed and back to tubeless.
3: Was that? That crash that you had right before Moulay, was that the last crash
2: of the trip for you? Might have been. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I think so. And now My I lost track.
3: It's safe to say now, since the trip is over, Tommy, you didn't crash once. I did not. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and I
6: will say, because I was behind Paula when she crashed that last crash, And she says, oh, it was a light crash. (laughs) She was, like, going like a bat out of hell.
4: (laughs) You're
6: going that fast to begin with. And then she goes, like, flying into a pile of rocks. And I go, I mean, I thought, oh, my God, she is going to be hurt bad. And I... Walk up there, she pops up and has like a little scrape on her elbow and a little scrape on her knee. I don't know how she did that, I, because it did not look pretty. It, did not
4: look
6: oh. it didn't look nice at all. It, didn't, it didn't a pile of jagged, sharp, boulder rocks everywhere. Well, you I had to-
2: some pre some pre crash tumbling training ahead of <laughs> that one. <laughs>
3: Uh, there's that time that I turned around just, just behind me and I turned around just in time to see you go over your handlebars, <laughs> land on your feet, and just go cruising off through the desert. Run! <laughs> <and laughs> you, you left your bike behind. Just,
2: just, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, going down with a bike was not all it was cracked up to be. So,
0: <laughs> so how about some of the logistics of getting your Stuff, equipment down there, bikes down there, getting it back. How did that work out? Work out okay? Any difficulties? I think um, someone mentioned something didn't come home with them, but it got home. Yeah, my bike, when I got
6: back to Oregon, w- did not make the trip with me. And I got it like two days later. It They delivered it to me. So it was not wasn't much of a, a big deal and now it would have been if it would have been the other way around heading <laughs> down <there.
4: laughs>
6: yeah. Uh, yeah yeah because i f- i flew down to san diego and rode from
2: there so um yeah for us getting down uh the ugh, i think the hardest part was uh crossing our fingers that Eric could get a flight down um, just based on the timing. And we left right in the middle of our, uh, the the big snow drop in Portland. Um, and then coming back uh, logistically, it was just a long trip back because we bust most of the way back to uh, the Takati border where the truck was parked.
3: Yeah, we, we took, almost an entire week just getting back the bus rides, the packing, the transfers. Then we had to, to go to another town to pick up gear. Yeah. It just seemed to take a very long time. I I think if I were to do it again, I would just fly straight down be done with it and fly straight back. And I, I overcomplicated it and thought, Oh, well maybe I'll just drive my bike with these guys and then take a flight down and, uh, just turned into a big mess for me.
5: No issues for me, except that they confiscated my, uh, my leather, my, my TSA approved little Leatherman, which has no blade. And also my bike tool. Oh bummer. I didn't know that I should have packed that. I thought, carry on. It's a bike tool. It has all it has is Allen wrenches and a, you know, chain breaker. Come on.
1: Where was that confiscated?
5: Uh, in Loretto. I, I flew home from Loretto.
1: Okay. So. I, I almost got one confiscated at PDX, actually. a, a uh, Well, it's it's my lucky uh, Crank Brothers M17
5: multi-tool. Oh, you don't want Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, now I know.
6: <laughs> well, since it hasn't been brought up, and we talked about this a lot when we were down there, like two things about Baja one, everything. is so cheap. And unless you go to Cabo, like I did for a week, (laughs) (laughs) if you stay out of Cabo, everything is like really cheap. And I mean, I, and I, I spent more in one week in Cabo than I did the entire rest of the trip. So, um, yeah, but everything- did you
1: bike to Cabo?
6: No, I, <laughs> I i finished I finished in La Paz, and I took a bus to to Cabo. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I as soon as I got done, when I was done, that was it. I was not, I was not gonna get on the bike again for a while. <laughs> but and then the other thing is the. The people are so nice down there. And I mean, it's just, I, I've i never been anywhere like it on a bike. Well, I've mainly just been in the United States and everybody is just so nice and friendly and helpful. And it, it's, it was kind of refreshing to see that people can actually be that nice all the time.
3: So, sure. yeah yeah people were one hundred percent extremely generous, happy to see us, no ill will or you know trouble in any in any way yeah there was no safety issues no uh, no feeling threatened not you know nothing um, it was just a very very positive experience
2: with the people all around yeah. And speaking of nice people, Tommy's one of them. So the reason we met is he's the collector of lost clothes. (laughs) Uh So uh, what day was that? Um, So we're heading to El Rancho Coyote uh, on the downhill side. A lot of rough, rocky, chunky downhill sections. and on one of them i my clothes bag that was strapped to the side of my rack had fallen off i didn't know or notice it till i was about 10 miles away from it um i went back a little ways to look for it and and couldn't find it so i had to head to the camp where eric and cosmo were and uh the one of the caretakers went back a ways to look for it and didn't find it. Um, um, so I had a couple of cold nights uh, with uh, without some of my layer my camp layers. Um, uh, later on, uh, where I had internet, um, Tommy had actually sent an email to my son because I had contact information in the bag, and so I saw the email that son Evan forwarded to me that Tommy had found it and I'm going great and so over time eventually our paths crossed as uh, Eric and I were leaving Catavina, Tommy was coming in and I was reunited with uh, my clothes again and then we caught up again in uh, Bahia de Los Angeles and we uh, basically rode together the rest of the way yeah oh so Tommy, you weren't with these guys
0: at the very beginning. No, you just, I no, oh, you just I was, met up with them?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I was oh, just wow.
4: Solo.
6: I was just solo and then I found Paula's bag and I it was so heavy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I start I opened it up to see if that she had like books or bricks or something in. <laughs> but I I pull out this ID card. That had all her like ID, and I go, "Oh, she's from Portland." Oh, I. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, actually, I dumped some of the the stuff I didn't think you needed. Right. I I left it with uh, Lola yeah. and uh, Bobak, who Bobak. Were, who were just some random people staying at Rancho Mailing when I showed up there, and so they ended up reuniting you with some of your stuff sooner than I did. Right, so, in Cataviña, yeah, so yeah, so and then you immediately dump most of the stuff on the side of the
2: road
4: <laughs>
6: <laughs> anyway.
2: well, uh, then I had some duplicate because when we were in uh, Vicente Guero, I stopped at, we stopped at the Foz bike shop, and I picked up some stuff to get me by, yeah. I re-donated them to whoever might pass by.
3: Yeah. Do you guys have any highlights? Looking back on it, was there a particular place or moment that you look back on and think that was sort of the pinnacle of it all?
2: Um, I don't know pinnacle. There were, I guess, a couple. The, The beach ride off Bahia Concepcion was... Pretty amazing, um, but then the I think the the super connecting with Baja was when we were riding uh, off the Laguna. That section when we just got off the paved section. Um, oh right,
3: the yeah. with, um, the whale sanctuary. mm mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Just riding through that area, just uh, had a different connection at that point.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: I-, I had a crazy experience in. Um, Guerrero Negro, uh, with, uh, whales. That wasn't, that was off, off route, but it was, uh, the, I was able to pet whales and they were coming and talking to us and it was just, it was completely nuts. Never seen anything like that. Um, they have this, uh, salty uh, lagoon where the whales come to to have their babies and, uh, and they like to come visit the people in the, who come out in boats. Um, so, yeah, but, uh, the other thing was just the, 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 the desert landscapes up in the, up in the mountains, the, uh, Valle de los Sirios and, um, and, and also up in that mesquite forest, uh, just the, the landscape, I just it leaves me a little speechless because it was um, it was just so beautiful and serene and uh, amazing. So just, just kind of being out there. I remember sometimes I'd stop and, and take some pictures, uh, but the pictures really didn't capture the feeling at, at all. Hardly. Um, I, I can't, it's like a, a a problem I want to solve is how could you capture the the, the feeling that was there that, because with the texture of the all the pointy plants you have there, they just weren't well captured in photographs. I didn't think. Um, anyway. Yeah,
6: I well, I know the that one area where all the what were they called cereal trees? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I that was before I caught up with you guys, and when I was going through there, and I. I found a nice camp spot, and i had a got a fire going and the it was a it was a full moon, and as the sun was setting, the full moon was rising mm-hmm. and i'm surround i'm in the you know that place is it's like it's i mean it's unbelievably beautiful, and you're just sitting and there's nobody around i hadn't And I remember I go, when was the last time I saw somebody? It was like 30, I hadn't seen anybody in like 36 hours. And I was like, this is unbelievable. This would be a big national park if it were the United States and you'd have to pay 20 bucks to drive through it. And, you know, and that happened a number of times where you're like going through a place. It's like Joshua tree and it's just a dirt road and there's nobody there. And it's and the same with a lot of the beaches. You would hit these just beautiful beaches, and there would be nobody there. And if it were the United States, it would be all developed with hotels and things. It was just, uh, it, yeah. And that happened over and over again. So I, yeah. So yeah, I'm going back definitely <laughs> with a fat bike.
2: <laughs> and, and, a camp, and a camp chair and a real tent oh your bigger tent yeah my my
6: bigger tent that weighs like 17 ounces instead of 14
3: I bet you're glad you saved those 3 ounces the whole trip though aren't you
2: oh yeah <laughs> oh and that new air mattress too right
6: Yeah. oh yes definitely getting a new air mattress so yeah i may not yeah i'm getting like one of those i don't know how much does your air mattress weigh eric like seven pounds or something (laughs) Yeah. yeah i may not i may not go that heavy but yeah i'm definitely gonna um um, leaving the ultralight world.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> what was your highlight, Eric?
3: Mm, uh, I, there are many highlights. I would say, but I think connecting with Paula was was one of my yeah. It was just very special for for me um, to be able to ride that route with her, and um, we had. Set out to do that, and we did it. So it just felt, yeah. really good and, and the, Paul is a phenomenal writing partner. Um, so that was, I would say, probably the the biggest takeaway from it. Just very grateful. Um, oh, thanks. To do that, um, but then just the the beauty of the place and the the warmth that we we received from every single person who we came in contact with. It just really left me with an impression of. You know, I think often here it's, it's easy to see the negative because you're just bogged down with your day-to-day routine and people are fighting and all the politics and, you know, just can seem, you know, a little overwhelming. And then just to be there and where people are smiling and genuine and generous and happy to to give you a moment of their time um, just sort of, you know, allowed me to, to realize that, it's, you know, it's not all. It's not all the day-to-day crimes. There's more to life than that. And that really reminded me of that.
6: Cool. Yeah, I I think uh, when we were in San Isidro, and stayed at Raphael's place. Yeah. I mean, that was just, I mean, kind of how the, the whole, all of Baja was, where you meet these people that say, oh yeah, here, you can camp here. And then he showed us around his ranch little his farm I mean it was i mean stunning, stunningly beautiful, and then he just so nice i yeah, and that that was kind of what Baja was like the entire time, so it was nice sure was, yeah, and I will tell you it's i mean it's when you're riding writing solo, especially if you don't speak like any. Spanish hardly at all. Um, I mean, it's a completely different type of ride. You're kind of in your own little world. And, and so I was, when I caught up with you guys, it was just like, just such a completely different ride. It all of a sudden, I mean, I was kind of refreshed because I was well, definitely on my last leg when I, um, Cross paths with you guys at Catavina. <laughs> oh yeah, the wind.
4: <laughs> and, oh yeah, I got
6: caught in that windstorm for twenty hours, and the so yeah, I was really grateful and happy that I ran into you guys because now I have two new writing people, and as soon as uh, uh, Cosmo quits his job and, <laughs> and has
0: more time, then I'll have three. It'll be great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thanks, everyone. Um,
2: yeah, thanks.
0: We were g- glad to have you on the show and, and report back on your trip. Thanks,
4: thanks
2: for us. having us. Yeah, totally. It's been great. Thank so,
1: you. We got mail. Hey, we got mail. All right. First up, submitted by our chief news contributor, Josh G. I just made up that title for him. (laughs) Vandals are stuffing meat into electric vehicle charging stations. Officials say it's part of a trend of charging station vandalism. Where's the beef? It's in your electric charging station. (laughs) By the way, do you remember Where's the Beef? Do you remember that lady? Clara. Oh, shit. You remember her name. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Where's the beef? (laughs) As an electric... Yeah. Well, anyways, (laughs) I'm not going to go off on on the where's the beef lady. As electric vehicles become more popular, a growing number of detractors have come out of the woodwork to express their anti-electric car views, while most just simply turn to social media to voice their opinions there are a few out there who have taken a more hands-on approach. Yeah,
0: that's have you the, seen these
1: pictures, by the way? I I, oh. you know, I
0: haven't seen them. I didn't look oh, at them. Oh, really? Yeah. The pictures are kind of gross. Oh, yeah. I mean, I it's bet.
1: it's meat shoved into a, a charging station. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it seems like it would still work because, you know, it's still meat is conductive, well, right?
1: <laughs> and so the meat gets into, yeah, yeah, it's got you know. <laughs> it's got water in it and
0: And salts probably
1: (laughs) right salts whatever uh the meat gets into the like where the the i don't know if it's a prong and and slot business but it gets in there apparently like they have to actually like take it apart and and put replace the whole uh thing um and according to this they're not sure if they're just like vandals who decided to do this or if this is part of like some sort of organized effort. electric, yeah, organized electric vehicle <laughs> sabotage
0: yeah well, um, mm-hmm. the only thing I've heard of is um uh, you know big diesel trucks, big truck driving people parking in the uh, in the parking spaces where the electric chargers right. are right, yes, I've yeah, seen I've that, that
1: because they are often like still one of the few open slots in a place, right.
0: You know, well I, well, well, I think they're parking there also to block the charging for the electric vehicle. Oh, I see. And that's what that was that's what was implied anyway.
1: Ah. Yeah. So if you've got some F- extra beef lying around, <laughs> don't put it in an electric vehicle charging station. No, do so. That is illegal and bad. And gross. And yeah, it's kind of gross, and it's a waste of resource, man. <laughs> Cook some food for your neighbor instead.
0: There we go. Um, next headline: New Columbia Gorge Express connection to Dog Mountain. There's a new weekend transit Ooh. service to Dog Mountain. Uh, Portlanders, gorge visitors, and gorge residents can now catch public transportation to the popular Dog Mountain hiking trail near. I'm not. I don't know how to say that. Bingen? bingen is it Bingen?
1: I think so. It's
0: not Bingen. <laughs> No,
3: I'm, I, I, got in trouble, I got
0: in trouble for saying philomath. So. <laughs> <laughs> philomath? Exactly. <laughs> 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 Anywhere, near Bidgin, Washington, and get their required permit in the process because you now need a permit um, for hiking on Dog Mountain. So transit options are available from both Portland and Hood River on the Columbia Gorge Express. Riders transfer to the Dog Mountain shuttle and Cascade Locks. And that's a new service that they're offering.
1: That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, is it? Yeah, it's the Columbia Gorge Express. So mm-hmm. those are the same people we we had on like years and years and years ago. Oh yeah. Um, that's so great that they're like continuing and expanding. Um, so it takes you to the dog mountain hiking trail is that the hard or the harder trail
0: (laughs) no difficult or more difficult
1: that's what it is difficult (laughs) or more difficult trail
0: i don't know we'll have to uh joan was recently hiking there this past weekend so we'll have to ask her yeah i don't think she used the service though i think uh i think she drove there
1: oh well we should make her hip to this oh she's the one that told me (laughs)
0: let's
1: shove some meat into her electric vehicle charging station
0: does she have another picture? I don't know. No, think she, doesn't. Right. <laughs> she doesn't. <Yeah>. She <laughs> doesn't. Events, we've added something to the events oh, calendar.
1: Look at that. We've yeah. got we've got two items on a calendar now.
0: <laughs> well, it's just it's just one item and some. We've sub-items. got
1: one item with two sub <laughs>
0: So
1: the big the item calendar.
0: here in Portland for the events calendar is Petapalooza. It's happening again. It's um, not just happening. It's happening all happen. summer. It's happening all summer long. Normally, it's in the month of June. Uh, and this year, they're extending it June, July, and August. That
1: means I can have each one of my brothers for one month of pollution. Oh, there you go. That'd be I, awesome. Yeah, I was going to have them all come in June. And then uh, COVID hit. And so that's not going to happen. So, But now we can spread it out. And that's cool. So we can we can social distance Spread up the our visits. our vacations. We can, yeah,
0: cool yeah. And so I, I grabbed a couple of examples on the calendar. Um, Tuesday, yeah. June fifteenth, because uh, there's a bunch of rides on there already. Which
1: the awesome. cryptocurrency ride, huh?
0: The Bitcoin and cryptocurrency oh ride is on Tuesday, June fifteenth. <laughs> also at the same time on June fifteenth is the High viz Bright Ride six annual ride.
1: Oh, um,
0: I, and there's a reflector ride at the same time. So take your choice.
1: Recycle your high viz.
0: <laughs> and then uh, I looked on the calendar every, every Wednesday. It looks like the roller skate jam social is happening. So Oh, sweet. If you're a skater, you can do that on Friday. I'm not,
1: but I like watching that yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's
0: fun. I like when they dance. Um, Friday, July 9th, Oregon Country Fair PDX ride. There's going to be oh. an Oregon Country Fair PDX ride.
1: Um, So they're riding from Portland to the Oregon Country Fair?
0: I think the Oregon Country Fair is not happening this year. So I think Uh, it's bringing the experience of the Oregon Country Fair to Portland in a ride. um, That's what I believe it is.
1: I will be interested to see how that turns out.
0: And then also the golf bike ride. One of them. I think there are more than one, but another one is that same day.
1: Uh, Armando, have you set up any rides for Pedal Palooza yet? I set Are up. Are leading any?
0: I set up the bike shop ride, which I really enjoyed doing. Oh, yeah. a couple of years ago.
1: Oh yeah, you were talking about this on the yep. on the last bike puck ride. And um, I
0: and I think I'm going to do. Um, I think I'm going to do it each month, the beginning of each all right. month, because I did Southeast Portland, and this time I'm doing on June 1st. I'm doing North Portland. But then I have to do Northeast Portland and probably more of Southeast because I didn't cover all of Southeast.
1: The Sprocket Podcast is produced at home.
0: Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com.
1: Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Call or text to 503-847-9774.
1: Twitter and Instagram at Sprocket Podcast.
0: Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music.
1: Hurt Bird for our headline sounder.
0: Marcus Norman for graphic design.
1: And thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners.
0: Shadowfoot. Wayne Norman. Cameron Lean. Richard Wozinski, Tim Mooney. Glenn Kubish. Eric Weiss. Doug Cohen Miller. Chris Smith.
1: Caleb Jenkinson. JP Cooley. Peanut Butter Jar Matt.
0: Marco Lowe. Rich Otterstrom. Drew the Welder.
1: Anna. Thanks for the fries. Andre Johnson. Richard G.
0: Guthrie Straw. Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of the Red Rainery.
1: Campsite Campsite, Nurse David, Jeremy Kitchen,
0: David Belay, Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel.
1: EJ Finner and Brad Hipwells, Thomas Skado,
0: Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson,
1: Ryan Tam, Jason Oftenberg, David Moore, Todd
0: Grosbeck, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Chris Barron and Chris, Chris Barron.
1: Barron. Sean Baird, Simon Pace, Gregory
0: Braithwaite, Dude Luna. Hey, that's me. Hey, that's you. Emma Brooks, Caca, Philip M. Spartan Dale, Mister T, who never
1: really left, Bike Initiative Kiwana,
0: Sarah G. Adam D. Go dig a hoe, Beth Hammond,
1: Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso,
0: Isaac M. Byron Patterson, Kirsten Graham, Aaron G. Rachel Moline jimmy diesel and our newest sponsor christopher barnett thank you christopher thanks a lot and thanks to all
1: of our former supporters who helped us get this far
0: wear your helmet if you want
1: wear your hive is clothing
0: if you want wear your retro reflectors if you want
1: (laughs) if you got them wear them
0: if you want unless you have your mask wear your mask
1: oh definitely wear your mask whether you want or not.
0: Now go, brush your teeth. Go to bed! Good night, everyone!